Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Works Christian Church, right here in beautiful Lancaster, California. I am your host, Robert Enos. Here, I will discuss theology, doctrine, politics, social and cultural issues, pretty much anything I feel like talking about. But basically, I flip tables. Please remember to download each episode. That's very important. Download each episode. Hold on tight. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Hello, everybody. Friends, family, in-laws, outlaws, everybody that uh, either likes me or doesn't like me. That's okay. Um, I want to speak to you about something of utmost importance. And part of it, very small part of it, but part of it is an explanation into what I do and why I do it. Because as a church leader, many people will be wondering, how come he's not preaching the gospel? I hear this all the time. All you should be doing is preaching the gospel. And a lot of people don't even really understand that. Even though they say it, they don't even understand what it is. Gospel means good news. Good news. So when we can grab hold of Jesus, and in this case, a, an aspect of who Jesus is, and then help people in our culture and society to become like Jesus or that aspect of Jesus. Isn't that good news? When we see people start taking shape in Jesus. Now, a lot of people say, you just need to get them to say the sinner's prayer. You just need to get them saved. And to which I agree, I just have a different approach than most people because this is what I've seen my entire adult, I'm not even going to say that, my entire life as a Christian. I was raised up in the church. I, I saw many and witnessed many say what we call the sinner's prayer, whether it be at an altar call, at a crusade, on the streets. And what's always been kind of strange to me, you see all these people, you hear all these people, witness all of these people uh, giving this, uh, doing this altar call, up there participating. You know, repeat after me, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Wash me in your blood, wash me in your blood. You know, accept me as your son, accept me as your son. I receive you by faith, I receive you by faith. Uh, amen. Ah, you're, and everybody applauds, everybody claps. You're now a child of God. You're, you're a son of God. You, you know, um, you're saved. Uh, great things. Everybody high fives and everybody cheers. And then next week, where is he? Where is she? Our churches were not filling up. Our churches were not overflowing, even though we had all of these people, all of these people saying the sinner's prayer. Nothing else changed in their life. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying absolutely everybody, because my life certainly changed. But in many, their life did not change. Their lifestyle did not change. What they did, how they, how they talked, what they ate, where they went, any of that did not change. As a matter of fact, one of the, the things that didn't change in many people who said the sinner's prayer at some altar call or in some area or some place, they didn't even find a home church. So they weren't discipled. And the Bible tells us to make disciples of all nations. Okay? Now, converting people to Christianity is a huge part of that. But where we've missed it as Christians is we make that the first thing we do. And even Jesus didn't do that. Uh-huh. Go read the, the Gospels very clearly. And even though Jesus was the actual Savior, he didn't always present himself as Savior. Or what I mean by that is tell people. What he did is he just lived it. And he taught people. And he trained people as Savior. And people started believing in him because 
of what he was training them and teaching them and showing them. So I just want to do it like Jesus. And part of that, yes, I'm going to talk about masculine, uh, uh, masculinity, toxic masculinity, masculinity, the difference between that, what men are supposed to do, what women are supposed to do. And I'm going to give a biblical a biblical viewpoint and create, and my hope, is a biblical picture or image for people to go, aha, that's true. And then as they start stepping into it and they start paying attention, what they're getting is the word of God without me beating the Bible over their head. All right? Because we've had enough of that. But what they're, what they're getting, what everybody's getting by listening to my podcast is you're getting Jesus. And he didn't even realize it, most of you. As a matter of fact, most Christians didn't even realize it, even though he was in every podcast. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Jesus. Because what I was thinking just a little while ago, I just uh, um, published another podcast on uh, toxic masculinity versus toxic femininity. And as I sat back and I was pondering that, that whole concept and a whole idea, it hit me. Now, I want to say this, so please... Um, Listen to me and listen to this podcast before you start making some judgments on this. Okay, but what many people, some even in the church, okay, many Christians, many pastors, many leaders, people in the church, not everybody, of course, but enough that it's a problem. They have this concept of toxic masculinity, that any man that shows true masculinity is somehow toxic and to be avoided. And we need to change that. As a matter of fact, many in the church, unfortunately, not just women, but men as well, have embraced the modern feminist movement in a very big and detrimental way, which is anti-Christ at its core. So I started thinking about this and just pondering this and brainstorming this. And I come up with the conclusion that at least by today's standards, even Jesus was a toxic or, or a displayed toxic masculinity. Now we know, anybody that reads the Bible knows Jesus, knows what he's done for you and I. We all know that Jesus did not display any toxic masculinity on any level. But that's my point of the problem of this concept and this idea that just being a man gets us labeled as being toxic. And here Jesus, who literally sacrificed absolutely everything, everything, and much more than most people even realize, he sacrificed for you and I, even his own life, and he still gets called or would be would be labeled uh, toxic. And I find that a big problem. I find that to be a huge problem. And uh, of course, I totally disagree with it. Totally disagree with it. But nonetheless, it's something that we, we need to talk about this. We need to face this. We need to realize this. So basically, what I've been trying to teach men in talking about this so-called toxic masculinity and masculinity in general, I've been trying to teach men how to be more like Jesus. And so when people start taking upon that uh, character, the characteristics of Jesus, characteristics of what a true man is, then when they're presented with the gospel, it will connect with them better because it won't be cutting across, you know, it won't be something so um, strange and foreign to them that they won't know how to process it. They'll understand the real Jesus because they've been uh, uh, pretty much trying to live like him without even realizing it. Does that make sense? That's why previous generations 
when you start talking about this Jesus, really presenting the true Jesus, the true Jesus, not the sissy Jesus like many think he is, or they want to, pre because they don't want to offend anybody, so they have this nice, cute, sweet little sissy Jesus, and that's not Jesus at all. Certainly not the Jesus of the Bible. Certainly not the Jesus of the Bible. So anyways, I want to talk to you about this, okay? He was far from being soft, far from being soft far from being a coward, far from being a sissy. I mean, that is all ridiculous. Jesus was a true man. He was masculine. He was strong physically. He was strong mentally and emotionally. He certainly was strong spiritually. There wasn't any weakness in him. Weakness. Okay, there was some meekness with him. And what is meekness? It's strength under control. For, for a person to truly be meek, okay, listen to this. For, for a man, I'll say it that way. For a man to truly be meek, he first has to be strong, and then he has to learn how to bring that strength under control. And I don't mean just physically strong, but that's part of it. A true man who's going to be meek first has to be physically strong, mentally strong, emotionally strong, spiritually strong, and then bring that strength under control, and then he can be a meek one, a meek man, a true man. And that was Jesus. So let me tell you a little bit about my Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about why I do what I do, why I say what I say, why I say it the way I say it. Because if you're, you're careful and you read through the scriptures, you find that Jesus, again, is not this, this little wimpy guy that many try to make him out to be. I, I, when I hear people preach about the love of God, how much Jesus loves us, it kind of turns my stomach sometimes, most of the time, not all, because some people do understand the love of God, but most people, most Christians, most preachers that talk about the love of God don't understand it because what they're doing is using the world's definition of love instead of God's definition of love. So honestly, very few people really understand the love of God. Hence, they don't really even understand God because you have to understand God to understand love and you have to understand love to understand God because God is love. And if you have, are using a wrong definition when describing love, then you'll always, always have a misrepresentation and a misunderstanding of who God is. And this is the way many people represent Jesus. So <clears throat> let me uh, let me start here with some of his sacrifices. Now remember, a true man is a provider and a true man is a protector. Mankind was doomed. Mankind was lost all the way since Adam. All right, when they ate of the tree that God said, don't do that. Death genuinely set in at that point and they were separated from God and they were separated from the tree of life. In other words, in and of themselves, there is no hope. In and of all, any human, there is no hope. You have absolutely no hope except in Jesus. All right? So at the perfect time, as the Bible says, the perfect time, God sent his son, Jesus, in the flesh to live as a man, to die as a man in our place. And it says this in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So um, what this is saying is that Jesus was with the Father. Jesus being God, remember God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not three different beings, three different gods. One God, three parts or portions, if you will. Remember, we're con we, the Bible tells us that we have been created in God's image. You and I are spirit, soul, body, one person, 
three very distinct, clearly distinct parts and portions, spirit, soul, and body. You and I are a three in one. Our God is a three in one. Remember, we've been created in his image. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, um, I, it's sometimes hard to dif, uh, to, to um, describe because uh, we, we, we t- tend to look at these things as complete individuals. Okay, but remember, it's one God. So, Jesus, Son of God, is sent by Father God to the earth. And it says here of Jesus that he did not consider it robbery, meaning um, he was equal with God, but he was willing to put that aside. And it says he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. That's you and I, human beings. So, he took the form of mankind, coming, he came in the likeness of men. He was found in the appearance of man, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, because if it wasn't for Jesus dying, you and I would have no hope. And uh, so what did Jesus first sacrifice? He sacrificed his position in heaven with the Father. Remember, the Bible teaches that he was at the right hand of the Father. He was in heaven with the Father. He had angels waiting upon him. Everything that he ever wanted or needed or desired was taken care of before you could even blink an eye. He was living in the greatest of luxury luxury and glory. And this is very clear in the scriptures. But as we just read there in Philippians, he gave all of that up and he came to the earth as a man some 2,000 years ago. Remember, they didn't even have flushing toilets back then. They didn't even have really running water or much of a running water system. It was very uh, rustic, all right? And they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have heating the way we know it. They didn't have cars and trucks. They had donkeys and mules. So this was not a very luxurious time, especially at that time in that place, Israel under Roman occupation. So he didn't come from luxury to more luxury. He came from great luxury to great, it just by comparison, great poverty. And he didn't, again, he didn't come into luxury. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 55, it says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? So he came to earth, Father in heaven was his actual father. Joseph on the earth was a um, step, like kind of a stepdad in that sense, his earthly father. And he was a carpenter. Now, I want you to think about that time period and that part of the world at 2,000 years ago. I've been to Israel and there, there's not a lot of forests there. Okay. So when it says carpentry, yes, he would have worked in wood, but very little wood. It would have been more like he was a mason. And so when you think they didn't have tractors, they didn't have even uh, um, pneumatic tools or anything like that. Everything was by hand. So if he was out building a house, chiseling out these stones, I don't know how much those stones, probably anywhere from you know, 25 to 100 pounds, somewhere in that neighborhood. So Jesus was not a weakling. He was strong. He had calluses on his hands. The bottom of his feet were rough. He didn't come, even though he was king of all kings, he didn't live as a king. He didn't work as a king. And he certainly wasn't treated as a king by the people that should have been waiting for him and ready for him. So again, another part or another, um, uh, yeah, another area that we could see his sacrifice. He sacrificed the glories of heaven. He sacrificed a life of luxury while he was here on the earth. And not only that, 
he was not a stranger to pain and suffering and grief. Okay, when, especially compare where he came from to where he came to. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says, speaking of Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So even the writer of Isaiah prophetically speaking, was saying, we hid our faces from the one we should have accepted. He was despised. He was rejected. He was acquainted with sorrows and grief, but we all hid ourselves from him, our faces from him. We rejected him. Again, more sacrifice that Jesus did not have to make, but he did it for you and I. The ultimate sacrifice, and we can go through, we can go through this. We can just keep on going, talking about all the sacrifices of Jesus. But the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice was his sacrifice where he gave himself on the cross of Calvary. Yes, he gave himself on the cross of Calvary. Okay, as a matter of fact, at one point when uh, the people were coming to take him away, he says, listen, um, remember Peter chops off the guy's ear. You're not going to take him and all this. There's a little bit of a skirmish. Jesus says, no, stop it. Um, And I'm going to paraphrase. I have to go. I have to do this for all of you. This is... Don't you understand? I can call 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me right now. And all he had to do is ask the Father, Father, send 12 legions of angels. And 12 legions of angels would have appeared immediately and saved him. Why didn't he ask for that? Because if he did, you and I would still be doomed and still be lost today. Because it was by his blood that we are set free. So anyways, let me read this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 it says for it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell so the father was happy that in jesus all the fullness everything that made god god would dwell and what's so interesting is we just read how jesus gave that up and even though he gave it up he did not come to earth and start uh, with and use the power of god and the abilities of god he lived as a man so he can save man and yet at the same time there was still a fullness of god in him it says it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, again, Jesus' sacrifice uh, didn't just, it wasn't just at the cross, even though that was the pinnacle, the greatest part of it. Giving up his life, himself giving up his life for you and I. But his sacrifice started the moment there was the discussion in heaven of him coming to earth and giving up the glories and the luxury and the glories and the beauty of heaven and the beauty and the luxury and the glory of the Father to live a a life as a man. And then when you read the book of Revelation, it's so interesting because a lot of people miss this, that um, in the book of Revelation, we, uh, we see that the risen King Jesus meets John and starts speaking to him and such. And, uh, and in one part, he, this glorious king jesus shows up but at another part there's another time where john is watching 
what's going on in heaven. And there was this uh, scroll that needed to, the seals needed to be broken and nobody was found, it says. But the lamb, as though it had been slain, okay, a lamb, as though it had been slain. So this, this um, sacrificed lamb shows up to break the seal and read what's in it. Now, I don't know if you understand this because we even see this in the, in the, uh, pretty much the immediate resurrection of Jesus, where he tells doubting Thomas, reach your hand into the nail prints in, or in my hands. Put your fingers there. Put your fingers in my side where there was a hole there because of the, the spear that went in. Okay. This is the resurrected Jesus. And then John is seeing the lamb as though it has been slain. And this is the resurrected Jesus. So for eternity, Jesus will bear the scars of his humanity. For eternity, Jesus will bear the scars of the sacrifice that he gave for you and me. For eternity, Jesus will be seen and will show the scars, the nail prints in his hands and his feet, the hole in his side where the spear went. And I would think, I'd venture to think, that any other scar on his body that you would be able to see when in heaven. I bet he has scars still on his back and other parts of his body from being whipped and beat the way he was. But my point is, the sacrifice of Jesus didn't just begin and end at the cross. It began long before that when he says, yes, Father, I'll go. I'll give up all of this for them. And the sacrifice didn't end when he rose from the grave. As a matter of fact, he's going to carry at least the marks of his sacrifice for eternity. Now, why am I saying this? Because Jesus did not have to do that. The reason Jesus did it is because he was showing true masculine traits, not toxic masculine traits, true masculine traits. He saw that you and I, those he loved, would never be able to make it to heaven, that we'd be eternally doomed unless he stepped in and did something. And what was that he had to do? Yes, he had to die, but he had to give himself as the ultimate sacrifice in absolutely every way. That's what a true man does. And a true man, a true man, ladies and gentlemen, a true man tries to be like Jesus, walks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, thinks like Jesus. You see, the, the Christian church has done a horrible job, a horrible job of showcasing Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. Horrible job. But it's time to turn that around and show the world a true Jesus. Why? Because there's so many young men, and it's not just about the young men, it's about absolutely every man, woman, and child on the planet or ever will be on the planet. But I'm focusing on men right now that don't even know what a true man is. If they start showing or displaying characteristics of masculinity, they're, they're, they're told that they're toxic and they need to stop. And they don't even know how to act anymore. They don't know how to think. We have, we have males, young males, that are putting on dresses and makeup because they think that's acceptable and that's how people are going to accept them. Well, yeah, strange perverts will accept them that way. Instead of teaching them how to be like Jesus, we're teaching them how to be like RuPaul. Do you know how perverted and disgusting that is? Well, of course. Now, somebody's going to say, well, doesn't Jesus love them? And don't, aren't we taught to just, you know, he, he accepts us the way we are? Jesus most certainly accepts you the way you are. So, so males, if, 
if you're saying, hey, I, I, I want to get to know this Jesus, well, then come. Come to Jesus. If you're, if you're wearing a dress, come to Jesus in your dress. If you've got makeup on, come to Jesus in your makeup. But I will tell you something. Because of his deep love for you, because of his deep, true love, the kind of love that is absolutely sacrificial because he proved that, the, the type of love that is worth bleeding, even dying for, because he proved that. Because of his great love for you, he's not going to leave you in that place. I would, and it's not just because you might be struggling with your identity, sexually, your sexual identity. I would say this to everybody. Hey, addict, if you have a problem with drugs, you have a problem with alcohol, you have a problem with uh, um, sexual addiction, porn addiction, come just the way you are. But I'm telling you, Jesus loves you enough that he's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you in that state. Hey, adulterer, fornicator, how about you that might have tormented mind? tormented mind come just the way you are see one of the things that we have a problem with and and christianity has not done a great job with this some circles have done a pretty good job but many circles haven't is we give the image we may not even say it but we give the image that people need to clean themselves up before they come to church or clean themselves up before they come to christ you can't you cannot i don't care if you go take 10 baths dip yourself in bleach and wear a white tuxedo looking like the good humor man and you show up to church that's only outward cleanliness and that means absolutely nothing just show up the way you are but i will tell you this let god be god in you and he'll start healing the hurts taking away the pain uh young males that are struggling with your identity he'll show you what's what it is to be a true man those struggling with addiction he'll start uh, I'm destroying that and setting you free if you allow him because he loves you enough to not leave you in that condition. He loves you enough to not keep you the way you are when you first come to him. I can speak from experience. I had a lot of issues in my life. And uh, you know what? Am I perfect now? You know, measuring myself by those standards? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I'm a lot better today than I was then. I'm a lot happier today than I was then. I'm a lot Con more content than I was then. I have more peace. I have more joy in me than I was then. And I can honestly say, um, I'm a better man for it than I was then. Again, perfect? Nah. Working on it? Yeah. But I'm working on it with Jesus. The real man. The true man. The measure of a true man. And ladies, if you ever wonder, you know, uh, I've had so many bad relationships. Are there any good men left? Number one, there is. The best jesus but find someone who's doing their best to follow jesus and you'll find a good man you will find a good man because jesus was everything that a real man wants to be and they don't always um we don't always realize it because unfortunately in many circles of christianity we've had a terrible we've done a terrible job of manifesting or revealing or talking about the real Jesus, we present some soft sissy. But when the real Jesus is presented and the real Jesus shows up, people fall in love with him. People absolutely fall in love with him. So again, he's the ultimate man. Jesus is the ultimate provider, the ultimate protector, the ultimate friend because of his uh, sacrifice, his life, what he did for you and I, what he gave for you and I. Because of Jesus, we have salvation from all of our sins. Through Jesus and because of Jesus, we have healing from sickness and disease. Because of Jesus, we have deliverance from everything dark, everything demonic, everything evil, everything wicked. And because of Jesus and through Jesus, everything we need 
for an abundant life he provides. He, he promises that. He says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. So through Jesus, we get an abundant life. That's why people who really know Jesus, I'm not talking about those who claim Christianity only, but really know Jesus, there's, there's a, a certain peace, joy, and um, there's an air about them of not arrogance, but just everything's okay. Why? Because God has taken care of every one of their needs and many of their wants, and they're moving to a, a greater level of perfection in Christ, and they're loving the journey. So I just want to invite all of you into that. Why do I talk about the things that I do? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, my love for Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done for me. And I want everybody to come into that. But I'm not going to sit here and beg you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it two by four ministry style. I'm going to give it to you hard. I'm going to give it to you truth because that's what Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus didn't uh, wimp out, get wishy-washy. He just told the truth and he even made the statement, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And I want to see us all free. So come to Jesus, the true Jesus. Serve him. Serve him radically. Get planted in a good church. Get planted in a good church. Find some men who are very much Christ-like, not sissies, not weak, but strong. Hang out with them, follow them, befriend them, and before long, you'll start acting more and more and more like Jesus, a real man. Thank you again for joining us at Table Flippers. Please check out our merchandise. We have hats, hoodies, water bottles, all kinds of cool things. You can find all of the, our merchandise at tableflippers.com. That's tableflippers.com. And please write me. Please let me know how I'm doing. Write me at gwccrobert. That's one word, gwccrobert at gmail.com. Give me the good letters. Give me the bad letters. Tell me the great things I'm doing. Tell me the bad things I'm doing. I want to hear it all. Have a great day. Table Flippers is flipping.